0: Yes, my name is Bond. James Bond. Welcome to Now Playing's James Bond Retrospective Series. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. Well, I certainly hope so, too. Celebrating the 50th anniversary of Bond and Films, Arnie, Stewart, and Brock will be watching and reviewing every James Bond film, ending with this year's newest Bond film, Skyfall. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Be warned. Now playing has a license to spoil and use mild adult language. The Americans are going to be none too pleased about this. Listener discretion is advised. What,
1: no small talk? No chit-chat?
0: Today we're talking about Moonraker, starring Roger Moore, Michael Lonsdale, Lois Childs, Richard Keel, Bernard Lee, and directed by Lewis Gilbert. This is Brock, James Brock, co-host of Now Playing.
1: Stewart in LA. And appearing with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season,
0: this is Arnie. See that some harm comes to him.
2: <laughs> and we shall! Let's talk Moonraker, guys! Now, this has got to be the most notorious. When people shit can on Bond, I always feel like Moonraker is the first one they go to.
1: And well, it should be. I mean, we said last time that they said... Bond will return with For Your Eyes Only, but we've said in previous Bond podcasts that Bond is not a leader, he is a follower, a follower of trends, Disco Bond, Aquatic Battle Bond, anything that's in the moment, Bond is going to just latch onto and try to emulate to keep relevant and not be relegated to the 60s and so when star wars came out hell let's put bond in space with laser guns right now that makes sense right well, everyone went to space. I mean, the
2: year of Star Trek, the year of Alien. Walt Disney had their PG movie Black Hole this year, Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. Everyone was jumping on the Star Wars bandwagon. It wasn't just Bond, but Bond is the biggest stretch. Bond's been to space. This ain't new. I mean, he almost got his foot into the rocket on You Only Live Twice. We've seen him fight satellites. We've seen him toy with the idea of stopping events in space, but this is something different. This is one small step for Bond, one huge For credibility to have where we're gonna go with this movie.
0: I think Stewart's right. It's not really fair to say he's the only one, but they go into space in the second half of the movie. The first half of the movie, they're on Earth. And people always think of the second half of the movie right away. It's kind of like when Home Alone, you always think about the end of the movie when they have those villains get beat up, when they have the whole first half of that movie that's actually telling somewhat of a story. We'll get into it as we go along here, but James Bond in outer space, it shouldn't have to be so crazy. To think that James Bond would have to be involved in some space adventure, it's just the way they tell the story that makes that so.
2: And of course, I've already read this one. Over at Books and Nachos, Brock and I are going through all the Ian Fleming works. This was an early one. This was the third Bond adventure. And of course, back in the 50s when this was written, there was no space shuttle. There was no space stations. There was none of this. They had to invent most all of this. It was about missiles. It was about nuclear warheads. The story that has been cobbled together here has been lifted from Star Wars and other Bond movies. There's very little of the material of the plot from the Ian Fleming work. They have not only drifted from maybe what they were doing in the movies, they're way far away in another galaxy from what Ian Fleming intended at this point.
0: At the time, the space shuttle hadn't even premiered yet. NASA fell behind. So this is the first time that... Audiences around the world saw the space shuttle, which was supposed to have launched before the movie was released. It was delayed about two years, and they actually worked with the filmmakers to make it look as realistic as possible. The boosters and the back of a plane, all that kind of thing, which seems far-fetched in 1979. We all know that's how it actually happened, on the back of a 747 being piggybacked. That, to them, was science fiction. And there's a very funny quote by Oliver Broccoli that it says, All those science fiction movies, they're doing science fiction. Here at Moonraker, we're doing science fact. And I just laughed out loud. Because while there certainly (laughs) is a lot of factual stuff in this movie. Really? There is, sure. Yeah.
2: There's a place called the Amazon. That is true.
0: Well, the space shuttle and the centrifuge stuff and space travel is possible. But there is a little more to how the ships get up into space than the Millennium Falcon. There's a little more factual information here.
2: Well, why don't we let the listeners decide and, Arnie, give them the plot. Give them all the facts, will you? (laughs)
1: Well, how do you top a film where not one but three submarines are stolen? How about by stealing a space shuttle while attached to an in-flight airplane? James Bond is called to investigate, despite still being under attack by giant metal-mouthed assassin Jaws, seemingly still pissed about his employer's death in the previous film. Bond goes to Drax Industries, where the shuttle was built, meeting owner Hugo Drax and astronaut Dr. Holly Goodhead. Yes, I looked it up. Goodhead is really a name. But immediately, Drax's henchman, Chang, tries to kill Bond repeatedly. Drax's pilot, Corrine DeFer, falls for Bond's magic penis and helps the spy's investigation, so Drax feeds her to his dogs while Bond heads to Venice where he again encounters Goodhead, who is revealed to be a CIA agent also investigating Drax. They discover Drax has refined a poison, so it will kill humans but leave animals unharmed, and he plans to drop it from space, killing all life on Earth, while he and dozens of genetically perfect people are safe on his space station to breed a race of perfect humans, basically a big space orgy. Bond and Goodhead's investigation is hampered by repeated attacks by Jaws, but Jaws softens where he's rescued from a pile of debris by girlfriend Dolly. And realizing that they will not be included in the super race, they join Bond in his attempt to stop Drax's plan on Drax's space station... Bond disables the station's cloaking device and a platoon of space marines storm the station with laser packs while Bond kills Drax, pushing him into an airlock. Aided by Jaws, Bond and Goodhead escape, and Bond finds out if Holly lives up to her name while Jaws and Dolly crash to Earth and credits roll. (laughs) And you said it wasn't good. (laughs) The head was, but I don't know about the plot.
0: The plot's very similar to the last movie.
1: I'm wondering now, did the Atlantean want to make a super race? Maybe that was his whole plot, was to make a super race of web fingers. He even said in the last movie, why do people want to go to
2: space when there's so much underwater explorer? Well, if you take the last movie and change the ocean into space, that's exactly the same thing. It's the same director. It's Lewis Gilbert again, the guy that I love for You Only Live Twice. He's disappointed me now with Spy Who Loves Me and, well, Moonraker.
0: Yeah, but this time I think the villain is much stronger. The last time, my biggest complaints was the villain was not strong and the plot was confusing. I understood his main plot, why he was doing it, and I found him to be a good Bond villain. So that's a big, big, big difference.
2: Huge leap big big leap and yes totally agree I love Hugo Drax my problem is he's not in the movie very much but I like the actor the way he plays it he meets Bond and his first thing he says is the only thing English society has ever contributed to civilization is afternoon tea he's funny he's witty he's got this droll sense about him I like his whole idea of creating a super race that the future civilizations will look up to as gods I think that it's crazy and it's absurd but it's more in the gold finger vein I mean it's absurd it's absurd in a way that's campy fun, this is a great villain.
1: I agree completely. I like him. He's very Hitler-esque, isn't he? He's kind of a short, dark-haired guy taking a bunch of Aryans to create a master race.
2: Yeah, and in the book, they even played with that. He was a refugee of the Wolverines, that sort of the post-Nazi Germans that were infiltrating various things in Europe, so they kind of retained that. Yes, he is essentially a Nazi in space.
0: Yeah, and what I also like about the character, him soft-spoken and has the great lines, one of his lines actually explains why he doesn't just put a bullet in Bond. He says something like, you defy all my attempts for an amusing death for you. And it really makes it fun for me here. the villain actually calls out, yeah, I could have killed you any time, but I'm trying to have fun with this. And it's really kind of fun to have this call out to the audience, yeah, we get it. But you know what? This is the fun of the movie. And this villain really lifts the plot to a point where when we get to Crazy Town later on it kind of keeps it as together as possible.
2: Absolutely. I don't think any one of us is in danger of calling this one of the best James Bond. Really it's a sliding scale. What I'm wondering is can we stop the slide that I would say Roger Moore has been falling down since he took over the role? Can we see him at least improve upon some of the last ones? Is this going to be better than spy who loved me is this going to be better than the man with the golden gun that's really my measuring stick at this point
1: will i be able to enjoy it at all well for me the trend that has continued is the trend of lunacy is this better than the spy who loved me or is it worse i almost find it hard to judge because the spy who loved me while it had its campy moments seemed to take itself pretty seriously at times not
2: serious like Honor Her Majesty's Secret Service But
1: yeah It wanted to have It both ways It wanted to have Exciting action And an interesting plot And a love story That was serious While still having Jaws make goofy faces And a guy Thinking he's Had something Slipped in his drink Because the car Drives out of the water This one I feel we've Ventured into parody We mentioned back With the Jaws series That they talked about Making Jaws 3 Just a Straight up parody movie And I feel like Like, that's what they've done with Bond here. I think that while Drax is a good villain, this whole movie is so damn silly that if you go in and you're comparing it to the Bond tales of yore, then yeah, it's going to completely suck. But if you go in expecting something more akin to Casino Royale than the 60s we've reviewed, this might be considered a step up.
0: Well, I don't think I agree with that completely. I don't think they're going for parody here. I think they are going off in directions where they haven't gone before in the silliness. I agree with that. But parody, I disagree with. And I think the opening sequence here really shows us that they're trying to keep it down to earth as possible by falling down to earth in that incredible pre-credit sequence.
2: Yeah, say what you will about the rest of Moonraker. This is one of the best openers. This stuff's great.
1: Yeah, I love this whole thing. It was a very exciting opening and the most dangerous Jaws has ever been. And then he ends it by flapping his arms like wings.
0: And that was funny. I mean, you were talking about parody. Well, that's the time for a joke. I think that was really funny.
1: But it's wily e. Coyote. It's not the humor that I've enjoyed in the previous films. It's not even campy. It's kiddie.
2: Here's the problem. Bond was such a symbol of the sexual revolution of the 60s. A decade prior, he looks like a joke. And if they can't believe in him anymore, all they can do is comedy. I think you're right, Arnie. I think at this point, they aren't even trying to play this straight. It is seriously, how wacky can we make it? And you're right. They push it too far. I'm with absurdity. Believe me, I'm with outlandishness. I'm with absurdity. I want to go to the moon with these guys, but I don't want so many broad jokes. There are so many times where I almost feel like they turn to the camera and da 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 ba da Come on. Is this the cat skills here? I mean, don't you know how to tell a joke? the first hour of this movie,
0: to me, it's some really great James Bond movie. This is a pretty serious movie except for the one-liners. In the first hour when he's investigating Drax, actually doing some spy work. Yes, Flapping the Wings is a little cartoony. Yes, later in the movie when we get to Brazil and beyond, it gets crazy town. But in this first hour when he's investigating Drax, this is good James Bond stuff. This first hour is strong.
2: I agree. Maybe not as strongly as what you're putting out there. But yes, we don't know how crazy it's going to go for the first part. And there's some good stuff early on when he's trying to find out what happened to the shuttle. They find the debris. They don't know where the shuttle is. They know it's not in the wreckage. So Bond goes back to the people that made it. Does this ever make sense? Do we ever understand why they stole the shuttle in the first place? He says that he needed it. He has,
1: like, six others. He's got five of these things. He really just had to have a sixth one. I think there was a line dropped about one of them malfunctioned. But, yeah, he had to have them. They couldn't make two trips. He had to... Have them all go once.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. They could do a couple trips. It didn't all have to be one big thing, but okay, it's a James Bond movie. I'm not going to ask that question anymore, but I just want to point out, like a lot of these Bonds in the 70s, he spends a lot of time investigating things that really don't matter.
0: Well... Actually, Arnie's right. They dropped a line saying one of them malfunctioned, so he had to get back to this one. So that's for his plan to work. He had maybe seven shuttles, and now he needs the sixth one back or something.
2: Or you could just do two trips.
0: Well, not if you're blowing up the world. Not if you're poisoning the population in one fell swoop with these satellites.
2: You go up. You drop some off. You come back. You pick them up. You go back again. Then you release the poison. I mean, nobody's paying attention to what he's doing. He's got so much money. He can literally do whatever he wants. Nobody says boo.
0: Well- I think the beginning of this movie when we have Bond investigating, finding about the toxin, breaking down the plot of the villain, and then we get to meet the villain, and right away he doesn't even blink an eye before he says, make sure some harm comes to him, to his sidekick there. It right away gets us into Bond having to fight for his life and all that kind of stuff. I mean, of all the plots we've watched the past couple of movies, this one seems to make the most sense, even though I think it's a crazy plot.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty damning thing about the movies we've been watching.
0: It does make a lot more sense, and it's easy to follow on what Bond's doing and why. At this part of the movie, let me just say.
2: I hear that you're liking this first part, and you know, I'm not here to knock it. I think when he goes to California, when he's messing around with the helicopter pilot, and she gets eaten by the dogs, that's a good
0: scene. How about that you missed, did I? favorite Roger Moore moment that we've seen so far love that the centrifuge scene this centrifuge scene I've seen more than any other scene in this whole movie and it still works and as a adult now I really see it in a whole different way and how much he's trying to get out of it the way his skin moves with the pressure and his reaction when he gets out of that little pod you see James Bond actually shaken up (laughs)
1: or was he stirred
0: yeah or stirred exactly (laughs) well done so it's these kind of things these kind of moments that are really working for me, and I think Roger Moore, again, is really doing a good job as James Bond in the beginning of this movie.
2: We've seen these kind of scenes before. I mean, we saw Bond get the same treatment in Thunderball, but you know what? I think it plays better here as a space training device than it was that massage rack that they turned (laughs) up on him in Thunderball. I think I'm with you. For as uh, much as this movie is hated upon, I'm shocked, scene after scene, how I'm kind of enjoying it. Yes, it's absurd, and no, it's not one of the best, and yes, they've kind of done it before but it's not bad for this
1: first hour it's really not bad i'll agree it's not bad i'll also say it's not good but it's par i'm enjoying these scenes but for everything i like there's something i don't for every parachute fall there's a flapping arms for every he's shaken or stirred by the centrifuge there's god that centrifuge looked terrible in the sped up film rate there's stuff i'm liking but there's nothing i'm
0: loving fair enough My first big guffaw in the movie that I was laughing at the movie as opposed to with the movie was when Drax calls the henchman hotline and gets Jaws to replace his Chinese guy. The whole joke about Jaws going through the airport security thing. Why did they even make a joke about how he hired him? just seemed it was weird, and that's the first time I laughed at the movie.
1: Later on in the movie, Jaws talks, which caught me way the hell off guard. I thought maybe he couldn't as part of the dental deal. Like his jaws were wired shut? (laughs) No, they obviously weren't wired shut, but maybe he accidentally bit off his own tongue when those things were new. Hadn't learned how to work them yet. But his tongue has to be at risk, at the very least. (laughs) I now feel bad if he ever goes down on Dolly. (laughs) God! Or Goodhead. That's
0: the reason you feel bad? I feel the metal teeth.
1: No, I'm talking about the metal teeth. They cut through everything. (laughs) I would have liked it if somehow... Jaws went to Drax and said, I hate Bond, you hate Bond, we should team up like Venom and Sandman in Spider-Man 3.
0: Or Two-Face and Riddler in Batman Forever.
1: Yeah. I'll admit, I was confused that Jaws was here.
2: I mean, I remembered him coming back in the opening. I did not remember that he was going to go all the way to the end of this movie in space.
1: My one memory was him waving through a spaceport window at the end. That was my only memory of Moonraker coming in.
0: And as a kid, I loved that he turned good at the end. And apparently the fan mail after the first movie was exactly as the producer said, that we love Jaws' character, but a lot of kids wrote in and said, why does Jaws have to be bad? And so the ending we have to thank all the children of the world who wrote letters.
1: It's why he was on James Bond Jr. Jaws
2: was a great character for Spy Who Loved Me. He elevated, he buoyed the best parts of that movie. Here, he's a problem for me. Jaws showing up the way that he does. He is unfortunately the pandering to the child audience. And I don't mind a little silliness, but he's the one that's always pushing it too far.
0: There's one scene in particular that he adds nothing to the movie. And it's the action sequence when they're on top of the cable cars on Sugarloaf Mountain, is that what it's called, I think?
2: In Rio? Yeah.
0: They stop the cable cars in midair, and Jaws comes down to take care of these two, Dr. Goodhead and James Bond. And the problem there is, besides the terrible background plates and rear projection, front projection, whatever they're using, clearly those actors are not on top of those cable cars. And clearly it's Stuntman in the long shots. But beyond all that... Is it the jump? The jump is terrible. (laughs) The jump is awful. But beyond that, there's absolutely no tension in this scene. There are thousands of feet in the air, but none of these three people... Let's put it this way. Bond can't die. It's halfway through the movie. The lead lady's not going to die because she's the lead lady. And we all know Jaws can't die. So what's going to happen here that is going to be any sort of tension or suspense?
1: I think you're a little out of it, though, because the entire point is to constantly feel James Bond is in danger. The filmmaker is failing, but a good action movie can excite you and make you feel danger, even if in a existential way you know the hero will live to the end and good will defeat evil. In Die Hard, you know Bruce Willis is going to make it to the end, but that doesn't make the attacks on him less exciting and feel less visceral. Here, because of everything you've mentioned and just poor ass directing nothing ever feels dangerous and I don't even know that it's maybe supposed to because like we said it's aimed at 6 year olds danger might freak them out
0: the difference here is Arnie the reason I'm bringing this point up is that not even the bad guy has a chance of dying here if he had the Don Rickles guy from the last movie come up there and do that or another henchman or even the Chinese guy going on top of that and fighting James Bond then he could fall off and add some tension to the scene at least on some level it isn't about the hero not dying it's the villain can't die also and therefore the whole point of the scene is superfluous.
2: I just don't like Jaws in this movie. I didn't even really understand why he would go to work for Drax. He can never get all the elements in place. It's like, hey, I got a villain I can finally stand behind. Hey, I'm rolling with what Roger Moore is doing, 50 years or however old he is now. He's liver spotted and I love him. So I'll go with all of this, but now I'm feeling like the henchmen aren't very good. I don't like Chang and I just feel like Jaws is inappropriate. But I will say this to your defense. Yes, when they're going over the waterfall, when they're fighting over the cable car, They're not particularly good action scenes, but in those moments, I can still enjoy them as travelogue. I like where we are in the world this time. It was a problem for me in Spy Who Loved Me that I just wasn't caught up in the scenery, the clothes, the tactile stuff. But here, I enjoy where he goes. I think it's fun to be in Venice. I think it's fun to be in Rio. I think that the choice of locations can sometimes make all the difference. If he had wound up back in Vegas, I'd probably be hating it. But I like, even in these silly, not particularly well-staged action scenes, that we have some natural beauty and just some things to catch our eye.
1: That's great, but watch the travel channel. I still am having trouble figuring out why he's going where he's going. It is, again, just like the last movie, a dropped line. Oh, there's a fingerprint on the vial. We're going here. Our analysts traced that in the vial is this thing from South America, so let's go to Rio. It is all so tenuous. If this is how spies investigate, we'd never hear anything. We would never find out anything. He should be wiretapping. He should be listening for chatter. He should not be, well, let's go to a country where a plant is and hope I stumble upon the bad guys. <laughs>
0: I also found the action scenes to be, okay, here's another action scene, and I had this been there, done that feel to the Venice Canal chase and the boat in Brazil on that river. It all felt like we've seen that before, and even though we've done it before, let's do it different, in these sequences, they're failing. And also on top of that, as we mentioned earlier, like the end of the Venice action scene, they had that horrible drive through the square, which is terrible and stupid, and the double taking pigeon, and the guy again with the drink. That pigeon
1: needed to be cut. Somebody needed to tell him. Not only is it a stupid joke, but it looks bad because it's reversed film.
0: Agreed. So, Stuart, even though it's beautiful Venice, it's just, it's lame. I get to the point where I don't care anymore that it's beautiful. You can still supersede that because it's so nice to look at?
2: All I'm saying is, I'd rather have a pigeon than J.J. Peppa. I mean, we've had annoying people in the background and they're just stock at this point. We know they're going to cut when he does something crazy and yeah, drives up on dry land in a gondola that it's going to have a child shot, an animal shot and a drunk shot. I get the formula. It chafes a little, but you know what? You just got to go get inebriated on Bond. I mean, it is about being drunk. It is not about asking the why. I can't defend some of this stuff. It's horrible. They push jokes too hard. It really should have been choices in the editing room that could have changed this movie dramatically if they had just not gone so much for yucks this would really be a much stronger movie but yes these choices are bad you guys are right but i still am getting some kind of thrill from it and i think it's just because i like being here And that makes all the difference sometimes. I mean, you say go to the Travel Channel. Bond does serve that purpose. It's a part of the appeal that he takes you to places in the world that you have been or haven't been, but that you want to be in.
0: That's absolutely true. And we've said that point before. But I think in this movie, Stuart, even that can't help me. I don't care about Rio. That awesome parade, that awesome thing, I don't care It's the second biggest waterfall in the world, apparently, in Brazil. I don't care, because I'm not invested in what's going on at that point. Once we leave California, which is, as we talked about before, James Bond in the U.S. usually doesn't work, here is the only part that's working for me until we get to space.
2: I kind of like the lab. When we get to Venice, I mean, a lot about mucking around in the glass factory with the guy with the kendo stick is not great. But I do like when we finally get to what is going on. I mean, the plot, the thing that he is tenuously investigating, that Arnie has correctly surmised is barely sleuthing is the fact that he has followed plans and seen that there is something being manufactured that is housing a biological weapon. And that through bumbling? I mean, does Bond mean to leave that thing lying around? Whatever. He leaves deadly poison out and the scientists knock it over and we see the result of this thing. We see that it kills humans and not lab rats. We're starting to see what the plot could be.
1: And I like that there's a mystery here. And there We tried to do it last time, but what does a space shuttle have to do with a poison in Rio? It's never satisfyingly tied up, but it was a hook that kept me going. They bring in Q. We always are happy to see Q. He's got some
2: good gadgets here, I gotta say. I like the one where the guy's sitting there with the sombrero that splits open and he's really a gun. That one's fun.
1: It's not as good as the spring chair as last time with the boing...
2: He's always got good stuff, but he's the one that determines that this toxin comes from an orchid that's in the Amazon. Yes, how does Bond follow up on that lead by driving around on a boat aimlessly in the Amazon? That's not great, but I at least understand why we're going to location to location. Sometimes I don't even get that connection. I am going to say this is a step up. I feel more engaged and maybe it's just my thing of the ones that get hated on. I tend to want to shelter and the ones that get overpraised, I'm like, "Eh, what the
0: hell? That's very nice to say that because it's exactly how I feel. I liked it better than I thought I would because I have bad memories of this movie. I watched it three times for this review today, and not one time I was watching it did I find it unwatchable. I just couldn't get connected to it. Every time I got to Brazil, I'm like, here's where it falls off a cliff for me. And, of course, literally, it's a waterfall. It really does. The movie it falls off the cliff there because at that point... It just goes to crazy town. And while you have the poison linking to space very cleverly, I get the plot. I understand it completely. I understand why he's doing it, and that really helps me stay invested in what's going on. It's just – I've said before on these podcasts that there's a certain level of fantasy and craziness that I'm absolutely willing to give a James Bond movie. But when they push it over the top for me, even I have limits of what I can give James Bond in the crazy land. and. This movie goes so far into crazy land for me that I have trouble justifying what you're saying about Venice is okay, but the gondola ride ruins it for me.
1: It gets even worse when he's putting on the Western wear and what I will give this movie, though, is it's a de-evolution. Because it starts off pretty much like any Bond film you've seen. It kind of gives hints of where it's going to go. But it slowly transitions. It's a fade from the Bond we saw last time to space lasers.
2: Let's not get to the end quite yet. Space is only the last 30 minutes. And for me, what you guys are talking about, where the first time that I had a dramatic pause of like what the hell is this doing in this movie? I think comes when he's with Manuela. M has hooked him up with a chick in Rio. And they're wandering around some factory for some reason that's not entirely clear. And this giant clown is following them around. I had no idea it was going to be Jaws. I thought for sure it was going to have a blow dart that pops out of the mouth or something like that. Yeah, you really needed to make different choices to make this movie stick. You don't want to have something that feels like a spy movie, a vampire movie and a brazilian dance movie because
1: the plot's absurd but the tone could still be tamped down and it's not we have another secret agent paired with bond we have Goodhead. she's cia instead of russian but another spy going with bond on his mission
0: yeah but just as wooden performance i mean maybe a little better than the last one but i still did not find this character all that engaging her line readings were pretty flat
2: And you mentioned last time that she was up for Spy Who Loves Me. This is Lois Childs.
0: Yes, it is. And so we pretty much would have got the same performance out of her. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) All
2: of my hopes pinned on her of like, if only she had taken the role, Spy (laughs) Who Loves Me could have been a recommend. I don't think so. I got to say, she's not bad and she's better than Bach, but she is unfortunately in that same Stepford Wives category as so many of these Bond girls.
0: You know, I did find her eyes, though, very temptuous. The last movie, Barbara Bach had those dead eyes, like sometimes Scarlett Johansson, I think, has in certain roles. And just so you don't see anything in her face. It's completely blank. Where here, there's a sparkle in her eyes and a few scenes that actually work. But when she starts talking, it's so flat. Maybe it's the overdubbing that she had to do for her part or something. I don't know. But it just comes out so flat that even though she has a little bit of sparkle in her face now and then in some great shots of her, it doesn't work.
1: I agree with both of you. I liked how she was written, didn't care for the performance. This is a downgrade from The Spy Who Loved Me, because Agent X, even though both are bad actresses, I felt because she was more in the movie, perhaps, and because there was the antagonism of Bond killed her previous boyfriend and she was Russian, and that just means something right there. When you bring in an American CIA agent who doesn't have a vendetta against Bond, it loses all that tension and thus is just bland
2: she's not an asset I'm gonna put it that way she's not a problem for me or a huge problem but she's not an asset she's not helping more out with all of this so I'm not really liking what the henchmen's are doing I don't really like the chick it really is going to all come down to Bond versus the villain and unfortunately the final half hour is going to mean a lot it's going to be a make or break it point and we've been
1: talking about Crazy Town I think we're there I'm surprised it took so long because my memory is called Moonraker I knew it went to space when it goes to Rio and venice and all these places i'm like wow i really just thought most of the movie would be in space maybe this is more grounded than i thought i knew coming in oh they made a star wars james bond but i'm like maybe this isn't going to be as bug nuts as i expected oh no it is it just took a while to get there when he goes to space again i'm expecting this i knew this coming in when i'm really just my eyes are crossed and my jaw is slack is during the laser battle in space between the space marines and the genetically perfect people.
0: What gets me about that part is that the space station was made appeared on everyone's scopes because Goodhead and Bond took off the cloaking device or whatever, the jamming signal. The U.S. was able to get a bunch of soldiers who were trained for space battle onto a shuttle and launch into space inside of 20 minutes, which we all know is impossible. I mean, at that point, we already saw people go into space without any spacesuits on. And we have earlier in the movie when they're training in centrifuges and they have artificial gravity on the space station. But never mind the fact that they're not wearing spacesuits when they travel through space. So when you get to space people with lasers, it completely goes off the rails.
2: You know what? Here's the thing. I am okay with lasers. We saw a laser earlier with Q. He was testing them out in the lab. You give Bond a laser. I expected that. I'm tired of the whole idea of this pandering American troops that come in the end to help Bond out. Like, I didn't realize that this was such a stock thing that they did, but now we've seen a couple movies where they're coming to aid him, and it's just not needed. I want to see Bond save the world. I don't want Colonel Scott and all of these other nameless guys running around. I think that Bond and an American spy would have been enough to take this out. I don't think you needed to make it. Everyone's got a gun in space. For me, it's the fact that they go so big with the cast that makes it ridiculous
1: I have felt that way since the very first Sean Connery films that use this trope be it a British army an American army
2: come on the ninjas were cool the ninjas
1: were cool I'll give them the ninjas but every other army that comes in I feel robs it of its power because it becomes a war and James Bond is just a player in it instead of the player in it so I agree all of your concerns are bad plus This is a couple years after Star Wars. Don't they even know the good guy lasers should be one color and the bad guy another so we can tell who's shooting at whom?
0: (laughs) Well, they have different outfits on, I think.
1: But it's all blue lasers! It is all blue lasers, and so I couldn't even tell what was going on. And they weren't very good lasers. They were inconsistent. Some people could take five hits before falling. Others, one shot and they're blown up. It was a poor aping of Star Wars. And you'd think that they've had... What, over a decade since Star Trek was on the air? They could have even gone after that. No, it's just all this constant crisscross, and it looked like a video game and an 80s video game at that, which is great for a 70s film, but bad for a movie being watched in the 21st century.
0: Yeah, that big scene with all those people floating because the gravity went away. And the same year this came out, 1979, Stuart mentioned earlier The Black Hole is released. John Barry did the music for that, too, by the way. Love that score. It's a great score. You can see the wires when they're floating. Here, you can't see any of the wires. And this is amazing that you couldn't see one wire with that many wires hanging around. It's remarkable.
2: Yeah, this one, they obviously had a big budget, right? I mean, they obviously went there. This was as big as Spy Who Loved Me, right, as far as production scale?
0: This cost more money than the first six movies combined.
2: Including You Only Live Twice?
0: Yes. Wow. This cost $34 million. Because
2: I still think that in battle and You Only Live Twice is the most spectacular thing they've ever done. All those ninjas dropping down into a real volcano. Nothing is topped that. But I'll give you this the technical achievement of it is not the problem. The problem for me is I've lost the focus of what I care about, which is Bond versus Drax. Drax is kind of killed real easy here. He has that little wrist gun. That's the one thing that Q's given him that can shoot cyanide darts or armor-piercing darts and puts one in his heart and shoots him out of the airlock and tells a bad joke he had to fly. and Maybe it's just another trope of the series is that Bond never really has a one-on-one with a villain that's satisfying. But this is I suppose, a replay of how Goldfinger got knocked out when he got sucked out of the plane. But I really liked this villain, is I think what I'm saying. And I wanted him to have more of an impact in the story. The story keeps going after he dies. You mentioned video games, Arnie. It becomes asteroids. Coming out from Atari the same year as this movie, they have to go shoot down the toxic little bubbles that got shot out of the ship. That three of them got out and they have to go stop it before Earth is contaminated.
0: And Stuart, you said that Bond's not the one who saves the day. The army does each time. Well, here we have Dr. Goodhead shoot down two of the probes. Here, Bond takes over at the last minute to get the last probe on a manual. But I was really surprised that she was allowed by the script in a James Bond movie look like to be the savior until Bond finally steps in.
2: You know what? I didn't even notice that because I just think it's boring to have anybody playing with a joystick as your finale. But whoever's doing it is just not that impressive. It probably was really cool. All the stuff is really dated now. If they're going back into the atmosphere, why wouldn't it just burn up? I Whatever. I
1: honestly expected Q's voice to come, use the force, Bond.
0: Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Arnie, good call on that manual. Turn the computer off at the end of Star Wars, and he turns the computer off and takes the manual.
2: It's Attack the Death Star. That makes more sense now in context. I'm like, why would you have a climax in which they're playing a video game? Well, because this is pale imitation of the Star Wars climax. You're right. They just didn't think that far beyond what had been done two years before. But Star Wars sure didn't end with SpaceX.
0: Well, yeah, but come on, like, that re-entry line is classic. That's really fun.
2: (laughs) I did laugh. I laughed. I can't deny it. He's attempting re-entry is really good, actually.
0: It's perfect, and I really wish, I mean, this is too racy, obviously, but her legs probably should have been in the air a little higher. Her legs were down below, but obviously they're trying to go for the weightless effect.
1: Her name's Goodhead. Shouldn't they have been reversed? Shouldn't they not have been kissing that way?
0: Oh, please. Yeah, PG movie, man. (laughs) I'm saying it, too, but yes.
1: There's got to be an implied blowjob joke somewhere in this movie other than her name, and I'm disappointed there isn't.
2: They're trying too hard with these chicks' names, I gotta say. I still can't believe it's a real name, though, but
1: it is.
0: The last saving thing about this movie, though, is the background score. I found it was pretty good throughout, although I have to say the theme song for me, Stuart, we keep talking about theme songs. This is a pretty forgettable song for me.
1: Really? I agree with Brock. I Honestly, if you guys want to discuss the song, I'm going to need to pull it back up on my computer so that I can hear it again because I can't even hum a bar.
2: I like this one. I mean, it's not one of the best, but it's better than Diamonds Are Forever. They got Shirley Bassey back. And you know what? I feel like she was envious. They're like, you gave a lightweight like Nancy Sinatra, one of your great songs. I want to just do that one again. It's a little You Only Live Twice. The worst thing I can say about this song is it sort of ushered in a whole decade of really mushy, light rock kind of balladry into the Bond movies. I feel like a lot of the ones we're going to see after this one, they're like this only not. But I think Moonraker's a solid song. Now, I did hear that she was their last get. That they had tried to, as you mentioned, Brock, get Sinatra. They tried to get Johnny Mathis. I heard they tried to get Kate Bush. I mean, they had some really weird choices and finally got stuck for someone to sing it and just went with their old standby, Shirley.
0: Stuart, I felt the last song started the balladier kind of song trend that you're talking about with the next one and then one after that, not this one. This one seems to me that they're trying to go for a combination of the last song, but combined with... You Only Live Twice, but they have to use the title of the movie in it. So it's kind of like the middle of the road tune. The actual tune has been in my head for days, but the actual song itself is forgettable. I can't even tell you what they're singing about in this movie, whereas the last song, it punches you. But going forward, it's all the imitations of trying to rekindle the nobody does it better hit maker status of that song.
2: We'll have to see when we get there, but you know what? I'm going to say this is on the upper half, that not going to be in the top five, but going to be in the top ten. I feel like this is a really solid ballad, and I like it. And I was really impressed, because I only knew the version that played over the opening credits. When they get here to the end, it's got a disco drop. I was like, ooh, yeah, 1979.
1: Awesome. I was neither bothered by it nor enamored with it. It was what it was. It screamed Bond to me, so in that way, it's good. But Yeah, I think that's a rave from you. You haven't <laughs> liked any of these songs. <laughs> hey, I love Nobody Does It Better. I guess nobody did do it better, apparently. <laughs> hey, we haven't gotten to Duran Duran or Garbage. True. Okay.
0: So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Moonraker? Stuart?
2: Here's where we really have to talk about sequencing and the trouble with the now playing recommendation. Because if I said yes to this, if I'm going to say, yeah, it's kind of fun, I'm going to recommend it. I would be thrown back in my face that I said no to Doctor No, and no to Spy Who Loved Me, and no to Thunderball, which on some level are better movies, or at least less absurd movies. But the truth of the matter is, I kind of found this fun. I don't think I found it fun enough to recommend That's too bad, because I honestly wanted to recommend this. Halfway into this movie, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. This is fun. But by the time we got to the end battle, it wasn't so over the top that it was so bad it was good. And it wasn't obviously good. So it was just nearly almost there. You know, I feel like it's a step up. I like this one better than Spy Who Loved Me. It's closing in on Live and Let Die, which I didn't think was great. I'm going to go ahead and say something that is probably very controversial. It is Roger Moore's second most entertaining Bond effort so far. And that's about as good of praise as I can give it. But that's not
1: a recommend. It's a weak not recommend. Arnie. I can say that it's not as disastrously bad as I had hoped. And I say hoped because every so often, don't you like a Garbage Pail Kids or an I Know Who Killed Me? Once in a while, you just like a spectacular failure. That's what I expected this to be. But no, it's really just a more goofy version of The Spy Who Loved Me that somehow changed channels three quarters of the way through and merged with Battlestar Galactica. And because it is going for this tone, it is easy to be more forgiving of this one than The Spy Who Loved Me. But the fact is, I hate this tone. I don't want to see Bond this slapstick this goofy i like jaws in this movie i like that he gets a little romance i actually find that endearing for this character but it's not what i want in a bond film let him go off and make his own mr bean i can't be killed adventures but for bond and what i expect in a bond film not
0: recommend i like to recommend the first half of this movie and by half maybe not mean the exact halfway point I didn't really like the gondola chase, but once he gets out of it and drives it around, I really start losing it. And then when he gets to Brazil, I'm done. So for me, the first half really works as a Bond movie. Great Roger Moore, great villain. Serviceable action scenes with the guy, with the kendo stick, but it really does work as a movie. The problem is everything seems so boring and been there, done that. And even for the Bond fan in me, I just don't like how far they're over the cliff they're going. Product placement, for example is all over the place in this movie. That whole ambulance scene we didn't really talk about, they have billboards along the side. Sure, they paid off with that billboard at the end of it, but that kind of thing even annoys me here. And product placement is a huge part of James Bond. And it's just annoying here. Everything around the second half of this movie annoys me and upsets me because it's going too far to the crazy land for me. And then, of course, once they actually get to the space laser battle... I'm just like, really? In a James Bond movie? Absurdity is fun. Fantasy is fun, folks. That's not. So yeah, you can watch this and enjoy what you're watching to an extent. I do like Jaws 2 in this movie. So I am glad to say I thought it was better than I remembered. But it's still a not recommend from me. It's a weaker not recommend, I'm happy to say, than I thought I was going to give. So if you like Moonraker and I know a lot of fans out there do is one of the most successful James Bond movies ever up until the Brosnan era. What? Yeah, it was the most successful monetarily speaking James Bond okay. Until Goldeneye. <laughs>
2: nothing in the 80s topped this?
0: No, nothing in the 80s topped this. It made like double its budget back in America and then overseas it went over 200 million. And then Brosnan was the first I think 100 million dollar James Bond and then since then Everyone has been hundred million dollars and up. Anyway, so if you are one of those fans who loves Moonraker or doesn't like Moonraker and agrees with us, go to the forums and tell us. You can find a link at nowplayingpodcast.com. You can join a discussion on Facebook, even on Twitter. And if you like this movie or if you like this review and like our review series, please go to iTunes and leave us a review so other fans like yourself can find us. And we would greatly appreciate you helping us find more audience. We're
2: keeping up the vote as well on the website. You can vote for which freebie horror movie we're doing in October. We could do Cabin in the Woods. We could do Trick or Treat. We could do Zombieland. You guys decide, and in a couple weeks, we'll be releasing
1: that special podcast. And we still have our donation series going on for more zombie movies. Check out all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com.
0: All right, well, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about zombies on that whole series. And Now Playing will return with For Your Eyes Only. sounds like a dismissal. I was rather looking forward to breakfast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing James Bond retrospective series.
1: Job's done. The bitch is
0: dead. At our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, you can find the other episodes in the James Bond series, as well as other series such as The Avengers, Batman, Spider-Man, Predator, Rocky, Rambo, and many more. Christmas only comes once a year. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Green Lantern, Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Talk here, listen here. So that's what I've been doing wrong all these years. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Shame.
1: We barely got to know each other.
0: You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Just do as I say, will you? Yes, James. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I take it that this is not a social call, 007.
1: Correct. You should have brought
2: lilies.
0: Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating.
2: Em really doesn't mind you earning a little money on the side. You would just prefer it if it wasn't selling secrets.
0: You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. So you put your money where your mouth is. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy T-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more.
1: That's quite a nice little nothing you're almost wearing.
0: I approve Now Playing's James Bond Retrospective series is edited by Alex, Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jason, Jeff, Brock, and Arnie. One rises to meet a challenge. Now Playing is not affiliated with MGM UA Entertainment Company, Columbia Pictures, or Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. That depends on your definition of safe sex. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Vinganza Media Incorporated. This
1: never happened to the other fella.
0: Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved.
1: I assume you have no regrets. I don't. What about you? Of course not. That would be unprofessional. Meeting owner Hugo Drax and astronaut Dr. Holly Goodhead. Yes, I looked it up. Goodhead is really a name. And those people really get made fun of in grade school.
2: (laughs) I would think high school. Particularly if they're not.
1: (laughs) You can just see that girl after her first date. Guy goes, overrated.
2: (laughs) Not recommend.
1: Bond Tales of Yore of Connery and Lazenberry
0: <laughs> and Count Chocula.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew as I said it it was wrong
0: maybe Oddball will show up <laughs> <laughs> how many times have you said that
1: oh, that's great. every All time i right. said every time <laughs> An oddball fights in the Clone Wars, or does he fight in the Cold Wars? (laughs) What's the difference, anyway? (laughs) Lightsabers. Yeah, it was phenomenal. I love the entire thing. I love how Jaws gets on with, like, the mounting airplanes and... Huh? What? Oh, sorry. Uh... (laughs) (laughs)
2: I know he likes to eat metal, but I didn't know he did that way. He's called (laughs) Goodhead. Holy shit, I need to see the director's cut. (laughs) Or maybe I don't.
0: (laughs) The last movie barba bach had those dead eyes like sometimes scarlett johansson i think has in certain roles and
1: what was with the drive-by attack on scarlett what'd she do to you man
0: uh i just tried
1: <laughs> no boys no, <no> like <laughs> just be random i want to hate on scarlett
0: i don't hate on scarlett man i think she's in the last few years she's actually done a lot of work i like i'm just saying in a couple of roles of her earlier career like the girl with the pearl earring for example she had a very blank look on her face the entire time and i'm like What's going on here? What is she? What is she saying? I can't really read her. We're in lost in translation. That works. In a movie like Iron Man Two, for me, it didn't work. In the Avengers, she was great. She was great. In the Random Avengers.
1: slashing comments. It's like, oh, she, she, you know, it's just she has these <laughs> dead eyes, like Scarlett Johansson in some movies. And now I'm gonna move on. I've just I've got my dig in on Scarlett. I'm gonna move on. Scarlett. <laughs> I have got a platform, and damn it, that bitch is going
0: down. Yeah, you're you're the one telling me that, right? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I I um. Oh, fine. Oh, <laughs> I apologies to the Johansson family if they're listening. And the good thing about that is that it's for your eyes. Oh, no, it's bad. Lame, lame, lame. I'm trying to always try to make a pun with a title. I guess I should leave it to Roger Moore, huh? Try to make yeah, a pun. <laughs> <laughs> um-
2: <laughs> I haven't seen it since uh, 1996. I think it was the last time I saw Star Wars. You've never even seen the special edition? I've never seen the special edition.
0: Hey, guys, if someone donates a $500 donation, would they be able to choose which review we do? I would
2: come over to their house and do lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> Vacuum? <laughs> would you
1: be Stuart Goodhead?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the details of that will not be on our website. <laughs> right, of course not.
0: Or a live feed to the to the president and to the prime minister.